all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. But they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, they, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they, the children of Israel, did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord has appointed me. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the wonderful sense of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've enabled us to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus tonight. And Father, we ask you now that you would just shut each and every one of us in with yourself. Let this word be personal to stir our hearts. Let this word be private to shine light in the dark corners of our hearts. We pray, Father, that this word be powerful. Lord, to lift our hearts and strengthen them. Glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we come, and through his name we ask it. Amen. What price for Christ? What price for Christ? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15. We're told, and he, that is Judas Iscariot, said to them, that's the chief priests, what will you give me, and I will deliver him, that's the Lord Jesus, unto you? And they covenanted with him, notice, for 30 pieces of silver. In our second reading in Matthew 27 and verse 9, it says, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued. Before his arrest and his trial, and his crucifixion, Judas Iscariot goes to betray him and asks the chief priest, what will you give me if I turn him in? Thirty pieces of silver was the covenant that they made between themselves. Then after his arrest, as he's going to be crucified, Judas Iscariot goes and throws the money into the temple and the chief priests take the money and of course they buy the potter's field with it. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him, the price of Christ, the price of him that was valued. The value of the Lord Jesus Christ to Judas Iscariot was 30 pieces of silver. The value of the Lord Jesus Christ to the chief priests in Jerusalem was 30 pieces of silver. 
Brothers and sisters, let's just for a moment and just for a, a brief moment just think to ourselves, what is Christ worth to us this evening? Sometimes we come, become complacent and we forget all the things that he has ever done for us, but nevertheless we also forget where he has brought us from and what he has done for us on the cross and how he has carried our sicknesses and our diseases with all of our sins upon his own body on the tree. And we forget as we go through our day and our daily lives just the value of Christ, not only to this life, but to the life and for the life that is to come. So what price for Christ tonight in your heart? What price for Christ in your life? As I said, they just deemed him worth 30 pieces of silver. So first of all, what I want to look at is, I'm going to look at three points tonight. We are going to look at, first of all, the price. Then we'll look at the purchase. And then we'll look at the possession. The price, the purchase, then the possession. But before we do that, I want to look at the price or the valuation, I should say, of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the value of a soul? Mark chapter 8 and verses 36 and 37 says, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The word here for soul is the word suke, and it means simply the breath of life, the breath of God. The breath of life, the breath of God. It's been explained and described like this. The vital force which animates the body and shows itself in breathing. In other words, you know you're a soul, and you know that you're still living because through your body, you're living through a body of flesh visible to all others. It's also described as the soul is the seat of feelings, of desires, affections, emotions, and aversions. So it's the real person whom you are inside the body whom you are. The real man and the real woman inside is the soul. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 we read this, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, notice, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The word there in the Hebrew is the word anifesh, and it's the same meaning here as what shall a man give in exchange for his soul in Mark chapter 8. Man became a living soul, a living nifesh, when the breath of life or the breath of God was breathed into him. What price can you put on this? What price can you put on a man and a woman? Every single one of you this evening, every single person who hears this, what price can be put on you? Many people feel they're worthless. Many people feel they're not up to much. Many people feel that they're depressed because they're of no value in the world. Many people in their family growing up, they're the one who's been forgotten or set aside or maybe been left behind or, or abused or maybe even they've been left by parents and they feel it diminishes their, their value to themselves. But really you are a soul, you are 
a living being, and within you is the breath of God. Within you is the breath of life. And what value can you put on you? Well, let me tell you, the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, the Lord Jesus says, What shall it profit a man, a woman, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What would be the value of a soul to buy someone back from destruction? What would be the value of a soul to be able to pay their debt of sin? What would be the value? What could we give? And of course, the Lord Jesus is referring, there is nothing in this whole wide world that can afford you. I want you to hear that tonight. This word for world is the word cosmos. And it means this world's system of things. This world's system of things, we hear about the billions and the trillions that the, the nations and the, and, the, and the countries are indebted to. We hear about oil reserves and we hear of shale gas and we hear of gold and silver and jewels and precious stones and the diamonds and we hear of bonds in the banks and we hear of all manner of things that were people worth millions and billions and trillions of pounds and yet accumulated together around this whole system of things that's in this world accumulated together and if it was offered for your soul Jesus says it's still not enough you are of more value than this whole world system brother you're of more value than this whole world system sister all the riches of this world cannot afford you all the riches of this world cannot buy you all the riches that this world has cannot redeem you. And I have something to tell you. All the riches of this world cannot satisfy you. God has so created man and woman that he does not find complete rest and satisfaction until his entire being is completely swallowed up by the will of God. Until God fills the heart, until God is reconciled to him and he to God, until his soul, his affections, his desires, the seat of his feelings and emotions are taken up in God and become overwhelmed by God. And until they are found in Christ, until he becomes their savior, their sin bearer, until he becomes their heart's treasure, until he becomes their Lord, and yes, until Christ becomes their world, and until Christ becomes their very life's breath that they live for. No man and no woman will ever be satisfied. Now, none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in me. Ever wonder why a man and a woman chase after different philosophies? Do you ever wonder why you hear of so many religions? Do you ever wonder why even some religions seem similar and cross paths and 
men and women seem to search here and search there, and in the deadness of their trespasses and sins, they cannot find the way, the truth, and the life, the one and only Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder why they go out and men and women go into the world and they, they fill themselves with alcohol and they fill themselves with drugs or they fill themselves with relationships? Do you ever wonder why they try and gather together their own personal gain and kingdom by building their own, the biggest, the best houses and the best of jobs? Nothing wrong with that, by the way, but the nicest of cars and the biggest bank account and the, the, the greatest of things. You know why? Because they have not found full satisfaction and they're trying to fill a gaping void that will always last for eternity. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He hath set the world in their heart. The word world there is a word olam in the Hebrew and it's a word that means eternity. Why do you think in the very darkest regions of this world, where they've never even heard the gospel, even some of them maybe still haven't, why do you think they have some form of great spirit worship? Why do you think they look to the heavens and out to the stars, and yet they know nothing of Christ and they're not saved? Why do you think they have all these religions and all of these things that's going on to try and fill the void that is in the heart? God has placed Olam, the world, or eternity into every heart, and every conscience. Every man and woman will be without excuse, and God will be justified in all his ways and in all his dealings, because even the very creation itself speaks of a great creator. He set the world in our hearts, and no man and woman can be satisfied till they're satisfied in Christ. Yes, only Christ could pay our debt. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much then as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now notice what Peter tells us here, and he makes a great contrast. He makes a contrast of things that we have been with, something we have been redeemed with, and the definite things we have not been redeemed with. He says we are not redeemed with even costly, temporal things of this world. And notice silver or gold. And we're definitely not redeemed through the emptiness of man's tradition, man's religion, man's works and efforts. We're not redeemed with all of those things or vain conversation it is. It means your, your lifestyle, the things we've been taught to live like. He says it does not inherit the kingdom of God. We are not redeemed through these things. Now he shows us, on the other hand, what we are redeemed with, but we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice this. These are all the silver, the gold, the very tradition the religion, all the things that we look at, the outward manifestation, the big buildings and all the trappings and all the things that go with it. He says, that is not redemption. 
Then he takes us to the cross to a man, the God man, hanging on the cross, shedding his blood and dying. And he says, herein is your redemption. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ outweighs. It outweighs by far everything that this world has to offer for the redemption of the soul. Let's look now at our three quick points. First of all, we want to look at the price in our reading. We are told that in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, that they covenanted, the chief priests covenanted with Judas Iscariot, they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, the world cannot afford you. And all the things that Peter talked about cannot redeem you. You're so valuable and you're so precious. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can give. There's no uh, amount of money and riches that can buy your soul. Yet when they stand Christ before what was meant to be the Jewish church, what did they offer? 30 pieces of silver for him. His price, his valuation was 30 pieces of silver. They covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 26 and verse 28. Judas Iscariot has went out. He's breaking bread. He's instituting the, 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 it's the last supper. He's inter- instituting the new covenant as he's breaking bread. Judas has now went out. He's now deciding, I'm going to betray him. He goes and he makes a covenant with the chief priests. And when he's making that covenant, Christ is instituting the new covenant. The new covenant in his blood. And listen to what the Lord Jesus says, Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, or the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When Judas saw that Jesus was arrested... And taken to Pilate, he took the money back to the temple. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 6, we're told that the chief priest called it, listen, the price of blood. The price of blood. Judas Iscariot called it the innocent blood. The chief priest said the money was for the price of blood. Judas Iscariot said, this 30 pieces of silver values the innocent blood. Now, I notice this. They call it the price of blood. So they bought the potter's field. Verse 8 of chapter 27, Matthew's Gospel 27 says, Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood. Here's a field represented, figuratively speaking, of the price of blood. The feel of blood. You know, there are many who think little to nothing of the sacrificial death of the Son of God. There are many who think little to nothing of the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, and they think little of nothing to giving the giving of his life that we might live and the shedding of his most precious blood to redeem us. Now you notice 30 pieces of silver bought him. 30 pieces of silver was the price of his blood. Yet we're told the whole world can't afford you. 
The whole world can't afford one of you. Yet Jesus said, notice, Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. I get it. The price of the blood of Christ outweighs even the very soul of every man. One drop of blood can cleanse the vilest of sinners. One drop of the blood of Jesus will redeem the soul of men and women. Yet they thought it at no more than 30 pieces of silver. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Notice this. Matthew 27, verses 24 and 25. Listen to what Pontius Pilate says. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Pilate just thinks he can wash his hands of the blood of Jesus. The most precious commodity the universe has ever known. The most powerful commodity that this universe has ever seen. And Pilate thinks he can just wash his hands with water of the blood of Jesus. The Jewish crowd who cried for his crucifixion they said, then they answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Notice, brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus will either cure you and cleanse you, or the blood of Jesus will condemn you. For this blood condemned them because they thought nothing of the blood. Flippantly they said, His blood be on us and upon our children. Look what happened to the Jewish nation. Look what happened to the Jewish nation. Train loads of them going to Auschwitz. His blood be upon us and our children. The precious blood of Christ is nothing to be trifled at. Nothing to take flippantly because this is the power of heaven. And this is the salvation and redemption for all of our souls. Do you realize if the Lord Jesus had never come and died, if he had never walked this earth to go to the cross for you and I, every single one of us, every man and every woman on this planet earth of ours, we would be lost for all time and for all eternity, for there is nothing that could buy you back. There's nothing that could save you and forgive you and cleanse you. Absolutely nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the power of the blood. The price of the blood. And the preciousness of his blood. And they covenanted together for 30 pieces of silver. Some might say 30 pieces of silver. That sounds a lot. Especially going back and taking the currency away back 2,000 years ago. Does that not seem a lot? Well, let me just tell you what 30 pieces of silver actually was according to Scripture. 
Away before that in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32. Listen to what it says in the law. If the ox, someone's ox, shall push a manservant or a maidservant, that is, injure them till they can work no more for their master or kill them. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, notice, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So in other words, a manservant or a maidservant that is injured and can't work anymore, or one that has been gored and killed by a bull or an ox, he said, the, the law says you're to give 30 shekels of silver for that person. 30 pieces of silver. Listen to another one, Leviticus 27, and verses 1 to 13, but we'll not read it. You can read it when you go home. Consecration to the Lord. When men and women came to the temple to consecrate themselves unto God, a male between the ages of 20 to 60 years old were to come with 50 shekels of silver. A female from 20 to 60 years of old was to come with 30 shekels of silver. A male from 5-year-old to 20-year-old was 20 shekels of silver. And a female from 5 to 20 years of old was 10 shekels of silver. So in other words, Jesus was valued. Jesus was estimated by the chief priests as no more than a slave for use. A slave for use. In fact, he was no more than a slave to die to pay for him. That's all he was worth to them. Now, ladies, this isn't my fault. But the ladies weren't thought of as much then. And you were a wee bit less in value. Especially to Jewish law in the Talmud. But listen, consecration to God, the consecration of our Lord Jesus, his ministry, his miraculous ministry, his status as a teacher, as a preacher, his status even as a young man in his prime, they downgraded his worth to that of a woman at that time. Here we have the Lord Jesus and his ministry and all that he has done is downgraded to a dead slave. And his consecration, they said, well, the woman can't work the same as the man. That's why it was less. So they go and Judas Iscariot covenanted with them for 30 pieces of silver. So you see the woman was 30 pieces of silver and the servant or the slave was 30 pieces of silver. So I'd like to wonder, I'd like to be there and say, Judas, is that it? Is that it, Judas? No bargaining? Is that it, Judas? There's no bartering? Is that it, Judas? No arguing over the value of the one whom you sat with, whom you seen uh, heal the sick and raise the dead and feed the, feed the multitude, who took you from a storm when you were going to drown? Is that it, Judas? Is that all he's worth? Is that as far as your heart can go in this matter? You won't even stand up for Jesus. You won't even say, no, he's worth far more than that. Surely, Judas, you can get more than that. 
be a slave, Judas? Is his consecration no good, Judas? What about his ministry, Judas? You're not going to argue for him for higher worth. You're not going to say, do you not see and hear the teaching? Do you not hear what the temple guard has said? Never man spake like this man. Come on, Judas, work a bit harder than that. No. He took the 30 pieces of silver was his price. They valued him at that. Brother, could I ask you, sister, answer in your own heart and answer honestly with yourself and see where you go with it from here. What have you sold Christ for sometimes? Have you sold him for uh, a bit of overtime? Have you sold him for a bit more money? Have you sold him for luxuries and pleasures? Have you sold him and forgotten about him just because you, you want to keel the feet, the feet up at the fire? What have you sold him for? Is he not worth more than that? Is he not worth more than those things? Is he not worth all the things that this world has to offer and can afford? Surely if one drop of his blood can redeem us, then he's worth more than heaven itself. For he is the creator of all things. Secondly, quickly, the the purchase. That was the price, now the purchase. Matthew 27 and verse 7 says, He took counsel and, and bought with them the potter's field. They purchased the potter's field. The potter's field was simply a field of broken pottery. It's believed the potter's house was there, and if there was a marred vessel, he just threw it out into the field, broken vessels, smashed up pottery, no good, let's try again. The place was unworkable for land and ungrazable with cattle. And around that whole area, the potter's field was just full of broken pottery. Matthew 27, verses 9 and 10, if you look at it. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah, or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom the children of Israel did value. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Now, we have a little something to look at here. It seems here that he whose blood alone can pay for the sins of the whole world can only now buy a little field that's useless. What price for Christ? Is this this it for his, his life? It seems he can only buy this field that was unfruitful, unworkable, unusable, filled with broken pottery. But brothers and sisters, listen, what the devil doesn't seem to ever understand is this, that although he may incite, entice, tempt, and possess people to do his dirty work for evil, our God is sovereign, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, and that which the devil means for evil, God always works for the good. In your life too, God always works it for the good. You might not be able to see it, you may not understand it, you may say, I can't see it happening. You may say, I don't know how you're going to work it for the good, Lord, but God will always work it for the good. The devil, as one old Puritan says, Satan is just 
the Lord's ip. Satan is the Lord's ip. Notice this. The purchase was a potter's field. The potter's field, as I said, was just broken pottery. And it says it was, uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet, we have a problem here. We have a problem. Because if you look at this saying about the potter's field, it actually isn't in Jeremiah, it's in Zechariah. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 11, please. Zechariah chapter 11. And notice this now. So one may wonder, why on earth would it be Jeremiah? Stay with me. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 11. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it to the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. But Zechariah says it, Matthew, why are you copying that down? Some people have tried, if you, I've read many people on this, and some people try to say, well, you know, it's a copyist error. But we know it's not after what we've heard the last few mornings. Isn't that right, Gary? It's not a copyist error. Some do say that when mentioning the books of Moses or the law of Moses, we take in the five books of Moses, just don't mention them. And it used to be when they took in the books of Jeremiah, there was other minor prophets there that were brought in with it, including Zechariah at the end of the scroll. But I also want to throw my 10 cents worth in just for what it's worth, okay? Go with me, please, to Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. And while you're, while you're there, let me just read a relationship between you and I. This was Israel and Jehovah, but you and I and the Lord. Listen to this. Isaiah 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art our potter. And we are all the work of thy hand. Okay? Now, when we look at Jeremiah 18, look at what it says in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Here the Lord was looking at the northern kingdom, all of Israel, but at this point the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken away. They were in the potter's wheel. They were on the potter's wheel, turning around, and he was fashioning them, and they sinned before God, and he cast them out. They cast them out and they were dispersed throughout the nations going west. Now, notice this. Go with me then to chapter 19. Notice this. 
The Lord then turns his attention to Judah, the southern kingdom, on Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen vessel and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests, or in other words, the the high-ranking and standing officials. And go forth into the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. And say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. The, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. But they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. So he goes on to say, you've burnt it unto Baal. Sin came in like it did in the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom's away probably about 150 years by this time. But sin has now come into the northern kingdom, or the southern kingdom into Judah. Let your eye run down for time's sake and read the chapter when you go home. Verse 10 says, Jeremiah 19, verse 10, he says, Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. And thus shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city, as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet, until there be no place to bury them. So you can see now, here is the potter's vessel which has been broken in the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is where now we get known as the Valley of Slaughter, which would be Armageddon. The Valley of Hinnom is outside at the eastern gate. On the side of it was where the potter's field was. Can you see now where we're speaking of? Here it's happening again. The Lord cast uh, Judah, there, the Jews, into Babylon and allowed them to come back again. Jesus has come and they, they, they've turned our Savior away. And now they're going to crucify him. They've sold him for 30 pieces of silver. That's all he was worth. And what did they buy? They went out and they bought the same field that the Lord spoke of through Jeremiah the prophet. As I close, I want to look at the possession. The possession. What was the significance of this? Well, the... Israel eventually were all scattered, all of them in AD 70, the very last remnant even of the the house of Judah was scattered. But in Matthew 13, the Lord tells us of a parable. You can read it when you go home. There's a few parables there. But first of all, he tells a parable of the sower sowing the seed, which is the word of God, and it falls into, you know, on the wayside, stony ground, thorny ground, and good ground. And he talks about it springing up some 30, 60, 100 fold. And he says, the seed is the word of God. And then he goes on to tell another parable about a man sowing seed in his field. And as he slept, the man sowed tares, and the tares grew up with the seed. And they said, later in the, in the chapter, they say, Lord, tell us about these parables. What do they mean? In Matthew 13, 38, he says, the field, notice, the field is the world, the Lord Jesus says. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. So the broken pottery that was cast away it was uh, from Jeremiah 18, that marred vessel was the house of Israel, the children of the kingdom. And so the children of the kingdom are in the field that is the world. So the gospel goes out across the world. 
And the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving grace goes after the children of the kingdom. So when they think they're meaning it for evil, God is showing it for good. And Judas Iscariot, in Acts chapter 1, we're told he hangs himself. It's taken that the rope has broken and he's fell onto maybe some of the pottery and his bowels burst out. Here we see the demise of the devil. We see the demise of Satan's stronghold because of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was the possession? You're the possession. You are. The one whose soul could not be bought with all of this work. You are the possession, the valuable possession, but you're only a piece of broken pottery. You're only a broken piece of pottery. This vessel was marred and cast away and smashed, and it's in, it's went all over this field. But the field is called the field of blood. This world was bought, the field was bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Can you see that? In a world of broken pottery, broken lives, broken people, with a broken law of God, the precious blood of Christ has bought us. The word is called acheldama in the, uh, the Aramaic language. You'll find it in Acts chapter 1. The field of blood. You and I are the broken pieces now made new on the potter's wheel. You and I are the purchased possession of God. What price for Christ? So then he wonder he's the chiefest among 10,000, the beloved son of the father, the darting of his bosom, the apple of his eye, great David's greater son. What price can we put on Christ when this world can't afford you, yet his precious blood paid for every single one of us. May God bless his word this evening to all of our hearts. And may you know that you're valued in the eyes of Almighty God.